Jesus, we thank you so much that you are here and you are greater, Lord. You are greater than anything, greater than anyone, greater than our problems. And God, I thank you as we studied the other night, Wednesday night, Lord, that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper, and that's because you are greater. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would open up our hearts, Lord, even more. You have. You've been speaking to us in the worship. And, Lord, give us a teachable spirit this morning. Renew our minds. Renew our hearts, God. Transform us through and through by the power of your word, God. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time, anoint your word, and may it speak loudly to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. At the annual meeting of the American Heart Association, 3,000 doctors, nurses, and researchers met in Atlanta to discuss, among other things, the importance of a low-fat, how a low-fat diet plays in keeping hearts healthy. We certainly have heard a lot of stuff about that and understand that. Yet, this article goes on, it was observed during the mealtimes, their their so-called experts and workers in the medical field consume fat-filled fast foods such as bacon cheeseburgers and french fries at the same rate as people who come there for other types of conventions. Well, when one cardiologist was asked whether or not his partaking in this high-fat meal set a bad example, he replied this way, Not me, because I took my name tag off. (laughs) I think that's funny, but you know, Christians, some of us, or many times we are like that. We don't live out what we believe. Francis Bacon, a 16th century philosopher and scientist, once said, It is not what men eat, but what they digest that makes them strong. Not what we gain, but what we save that makes us rich. Not what we read, but what we remember that makes us learn. And then he said this, Not what we preach, but what we practice that makes us Christians. What a good quote there. We've heard that before. We've got to practice what we preach, right? Well, as we continue in our study through the book of Hebrews, the writer now exhorts the Jewish believers here to live out what Christ has made possible by his death, by the shedding of his blood on the cross. So I titled our message this morning, Live It Out, Live It Now. Live it out, live it now. And that's the call to us this morning. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19 to 25 today. 19 through 25. And so why do we need to live it out? Because we now have, and this is our outline, number one, the greatest motivation. Number two, the greatest invitation. Number three, the greatest expectation. And number four, the greatest connection. So let's begin here. Number one, the greatest motivation. Live it out. Live it now because of the greatest motivation we have. And this is our first section. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. And we're going to stop there at verse 21. Now we begin here with the word therefore in verse 19. 
or really this means in light of the fact. In other words, in light of what we just talked about, therefore connecting us to all that the writer has been saying. And you know what? He actually sums it all up for us in the next verses here. And so I'm not going to go totally over everything in detail here because really it's a summary of what we've been studying, maybe even all the way back to chapter 6 of Hebrews. So he says, now that believers have this boldness to enter, Now, in the NASB, it says, I think it better translates it, we have confidence to enter. So that's the really strong idea, that we have confidence to enter. Enter what? Well, the holiest. And we know we've been studying the holiest is the holiest of holies, the most holy place. That inner part of the temple that was separated by that veil, which which torn in two when Jesus died on the cross, remember? That inner part, which held the Ark of the Covenant, which was a representation of the presence of God. So now we can enter in. We have that confidence to enter into the holiest of holies. Now, the word enter actually in the original language means admission or being authorized for access. So believers now have access to God. Or we should look at it this way. We have unlimited access, so we have that confidence to go in. Well, how is that done? How did it come to pass? Well, like I mentioned here, the writer says, by the blood of Jesus, which refers to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We've been studying that so much. So believers now can approach God confidently because in Christ, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and now we're able to go in, and we're going to expand even more on that later. Jesus opened up now, the verses tell us here, a new and living way. The old system of repeated uh, uh, sacrifice of animals, and like we learned, could never bring that lasting forgiveness. So this is the new way. The new way did that. Gave us that access, the way to approach God. And Christ's resurrection has made this a, I like, living way, a new and living way to be saved because he's alive. Our priest is alive. He, he's alive so we can be alive and now we have a living way to approach God. And this Jesus consecrated, it says here, or established all this by what? His flesh, the writer says, which means the giving of his body that we would have a way through the veil. Remember, only one priest once a year could enter the veil into the holiest holies and have access to God. No one else could, only that priest. But now, as verse 21 says, Jesus made the way through that access to God, through the veil as our high priest of the house of God. And like we've studied in the past, that's that heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple. So in these three verses, the idea is this. In light of all that Jesus has done to make God accessible, you know what? We should then be motivated to live for Jesus. This is the motivation here. This is the greatest motivation, that's our heading, for us to live for Jesus because we have this access now, because we are close to God, because we have this relationship. Now, again, this is basically a summary of what we've been studying and since around chapter 6. And we've gone deep. We've gone deep into a whole lot of doctrine and theology. I'm proud of you guys. You made it all the way through, all about the death of Christ, His blood, and, and going back to the old sacrifices and all that. But now, as we've come to this section now, to the end of the book, it's all 
application. It's applying this doctrine into our lives. That's not why the writer says, therefore, in verse 19. He's bringing us into a whole new way now of, of speaking to us and applying all of this into our lives. So he's saying, like, in light of all this truth, we need to live it out. Live it now. I like what someone said. The writer now begins to move us from doctrine to duty. Creed to conduct, precept to practice. And I like that thought here. So this brings us to what the writer is saying in our point. Let us be moved to take this opportunity to live the life. That's what he's really pushing here. Let us be moved now, motivated to take this opportunity to live the life. The other week it was um, time for me to go and I was looking for that one last wave, you know, to take in. And, and a set came and I thought, you know, I should just grab this one and I, I, should just, I should just go. But then I thought, you know, maybe I'll grab the second one because it's usually a little bigger. Maybe it might be. But you know, when the second wave came in the set, it was smaller. And I was like, oh man. And it was really small. And I was kicking myself like, I should have taken that first one when the opportunity came. And you know what, sadly, after that, there was nothing. I had to just paddle in. So it was like, it was like, oh man, you know, that's a bummer. But see, in a similar way, there is an opportunity that God has created for you and I as believers. He has made the way not only to be saved, but now to be able to live a life for Jesus Christ. The old system, remember as we've been studying, it did not provide a way to do that. It, the regulations and all, they were just this law over your head, and if you didn't, if you didn't abide by it, well, that was it. You had to go and offer the sin sacrifices. But now through Jesus Christ, He has provided a way. He has provided a way not only to, to live the light, but He has provided a way to know God and have God in you and have God help you and be part of you here. That's what He's talking about. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So let us be moved now to take the opportunity to live the life. We can now, you guys. We can now. I believe God is calling you and I today to step up, to get up, to grow up, to stop our old ways and take this new opportunity given to do all we can to take this truth that we've been learning and put it into our lives and now live it out. No more just talk. But let's walk now in that. Let God be living in and out of our lives. I was reading about a young girl walking home from church one Sunday, and she turns and asks her mother, Mommy, didn't you tell me that God was so big that the world can't contain Him? And that the earth is like His footstool? And that you can't see the end of Him? That's right, replied the mother. Well, today, said the young girl, we learned that God lives inside of us. So God lives inside of me. Well, that's right too, honey, said the mother. Then the girl said, well, I'm confused, mom. If God is so big that he can't even fit into the world and he lives also inside of me, shouldn't people see him coming out of me? That's right. That's right, little one. People should see Jesus coming out of us. And after all that Jesus has made possible for us, we should be greatly motivated to live for Him, to live it out, live it now. 
Well, let's go on to number two in our heading, the greatest invitation. We've seen the greatest motivation to live it out and live it out. Now, the greatest invitation, number two. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 22 now. It reads here, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now we're just going to take this verse right now. Now in light of Christ's sacrifice and all our access to God, the writer says, let us draw near. And as we've been talking about, believers can now approach the holy God through Christ Jesus. In other words, the door is now wide open. That's what he's saying. The door is now wide open. And here, so we see the greatest invitation that this door is open. Now, the, the writer's saying, so you guys, God is saying, let us draw near then. So let us do that. And let us do so with four things that are listed in this verse. Number one, let us draw near with a true heart, he writes here, with a true heart. You know what that means? That means to come to God with a sincere and a genuine heart, to really come from inside. The idea is to come to God with all of your heart, you guys, with, with, with all of your being because you want to be with Him because you love Him. Now, remember in the old system, right, the old covenant, they would bring the offering to God. But, but what happened? Well, we've been studying Isaiah. You know what happened? It turned into this religious ritual. It was not done with a sincere heart. They were just going through the motions to do their thing so that, oh, okay, I'm good with God, and then they go about their way. But it wasn't really coming to God with a, a real heart here. Even the Pharisees, you remember, they were confronted by Jesus when he exposed his heart. When Jesus quoted, actually, Isaiah, in Matthew 15, he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But now, after Jesus, we, after this direct access, after now we, we can have this relationship and we could come to the very throne of God, you know what? It's not a religious ritual anymore. It's a relationship that's opened up to us and the Lord. And now when we to seek him like in worship like we've been doing or in the word let us draw near with a true and sincere heart let us draw with draw near with a true heart so that's the idea you guys well the second thing he says here that we need to do is let us draw near with all confidence with all confidence and this is what he means when he says in full assurance of faith now that means we approach God with it without any fear of condemnation, without any fear of, oh no, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be you know, zapped right away. The idea is, really, we fully believe the blood of Christ has made this full access to God. He's made the way. That's the belief. The Greek word for assurance here literally means openness. So it speaks of being able to come to the Holy God in complete confidence, just as I mentioned earlier. It's what we read up in verse 19, having boldness. Or, do you remember back in Hebrews chapter 4, 16? It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of God, to the throne of grace, excuse me, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, in the help, and to help in the time of need. So that's the idea. We can come now with confidence, with this full assurance of our faith, 
And when you believe in Christ, that Christ has made the way that we have that access that we can approach God. Now listen, don't let Satan try and fool you, to make you afraid, to keep you from going directly to the Lord. Because in Jesus now, you can go boldly with confidence to find God's grace. All right, well, we see number one, let us draw near with a true heart. Number two, let us draw near with all confidence. And now the third thing, number three, let us draw near knowing we've been forgiven. Knowing we've been forgiven. It all links together here. It says here, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, we've come across that before. We've come across that phrase before, and basically it means our guilt can be forgiven, and we've gone through that a lot. So the idea is we have access, we can draw near because of forgiveness. Forgiveness is there, full forgiveness, not a temporary one, but a full-on forgiveness. Jeffrey B. Wilson wrote, As unforgiven sin presents an inseparable barrier to blessing, so the forgiveness of sins is the priceless boon which opens the door to every other spiritual blessing. So now, right, there's no separation. Now there's an open door. Now, because we've been forgiven, we can go into the very presence of God. And we've talked a lot about forgiveness in the past. All right, so number one, let us draw near with a true heart. Two, with all confidence. Three, knowing we've been forgiven. And then number four, our last thing we see in this verse, let us draw near being made right with God. So the verse here, it says, having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, some connect this to water baptism, but, but, and it could be, but you know what I believe? I believe it's speaking of our positional sanctification, and we talked about that the other week, our justification of how we are made righteous in Christ Jesus. I believe, see, I think this is referring to the temple and the priests and the old system. This is like how the priests who had to be ceremonially washed before entering the temple, before they served, before going into the holy place. So the idea is we have been washed, we've been made pure by this justification in Jesus. We have been made righteous by his blood in that way. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says this, But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we see that we are washed clean and we have that righteousness. We can have access and go in because now we are righteous before God through Christ's righteousness. All right, so this verse, in light of Christ's sacrifice, and because we have this access to God now, there's a door wide open for us believers. So let us draw near, the writer saying, with a true heart, with all confidence, knowing we're forgiven, being made right with God. So why hold back then? Why are we holding back? And really it brings us to the point here. The writer saying this, let us draw near and do all we can to get close to the Lord. Let us draw near and do all we can to get close to the Lord. On April 28th this year, 2019, it was our 35th wedding anniversary for Kristen and I. You can clap. Praise the Lord. You can clap for Kristen. Yeah, she tolerated me for 35 years, still loved me. No. But, you know, I felt led to do this staycation as someone had blessed us with this friends and family rate at the Grand Wailea. 
And so we spent uh, like five days there. Now, we haven't really been able to do any, quote, trips like that for our anniversary for a number of years. So, you know, when this door opened up for us, I believe, you know what? God, I believe God brought this opportunity for us to get away. And I thought, I got to take this. It's, it's right there. Am I going to say no? You know, no. Nah. But I really felt like I was praying about it too. Then all of a sudden this, this, this person approached me. I go, really? He goes, yeah, no shame. Really? I don't know him really well, but he knows me well. And, you know, knows me. And it's kind of like, okay, thank you, you know. And, well, think about that. In a similar way, the writer is saying that there's now a wide open door between you and God. So why not enter in? Let us draw near. Why not do all you can to get closer to God now? It's not like what it was before, right? Where the Jews had limited access. Only the priests went in, right? All the people couldn't go into the holiest holies in that area. They couldn't go into that real presence of the Lord. But now through Jesus Christ, we are able to go to God directly. So why not go? Let us draw near, you guys. Let us draw near because the door is open. Let me ask you, is not that your desire? I don't know about you, that's my desire. Every time we gather for worship on, on Sunday and Wednesday, every time we, we pray like a prayer meeting on Friday, my desire, yearning is to be with God, to sit in His presence, to be right there before His very throne and, and feel Him and, and just worship Him and honor Him. Is that your passion? Do you have a passion for Jesus and wanting to spend time with Him? Or maybe sometimes we compartmentalize God. That means like you put God into your schedule. You fit him into your life just enough. Yeah. It's time. And I'll give you that much. And then just enough so that, well, okay. And then you go on with your life. And, and then, well, Sundays is good enough for me. I don't need to do anything else. You know, I'm all right. I've done my time. And then you compartmentalize God, like fitting in, in maybe one morning a month. Yet, think about this, as you go out the door to work every day, you know what the Lord is waiting? He's waiting to spend time with you. Shouldn't we draw near to Him and take that opportunity that's been open for us to spend time with our Jesus? Isn't this amazing? Do you want to know something? God actually desires to get closer to you. To have a relationship with you. Don't you want that too? But we seem to neglect the opportunity given. You know, what a, one of the early catechisms that the, the church had put out uh, kind of states what Jesus has opened up for us. It says basically our purpose in life is to, and this is the catechism, it says to know God and enjoy Him forever. You probably heard that before. Isn't that what should be in our heart? Isn't that what is in our heart? And shouldn't, shouldn't we live that out and live it now? Well, let's go on to number three now. The greatest expectation. The greatest expectation. We've seen the greatest motivation, the greatest invitation, and now the greatest expectation. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful okay if you notice this is really the second let us in our passage first it's let us 
draw near. And now here's a second let us. And it really connects to therefore. So in light of what Christ has done on the cross, let us hold fast, the writer says. That means to grip tightly. What? The confession of our hope. That is that, that truth that we confess. That is what we profess to believe in when we first came to the Lord. And what did we pray? We prayed that we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead to free us from sin. And now, through Him, we have eternal life, a new life. And now the Holy Spirit can come live inside of us. So it's that truth we are to hold fast to. It is that truth that we are, we, we, that promise, that's our hope for our salvation now, for His work in us now, and for finally bringing us home to heaven in the end. That's our hope. And remember, in the New Testament, the word hope is not like sometimes we use it. Well, I hope it happens, right? But the Christian hope in the New Testament is, is this. We know it will happen. Hope is we know it will happen as God says. So that's why we must hold fast, he says in this verse, without wavering, not being shaky about this at all. For he who promised is faithful. God will never go back on his word. So the idea here is this. Remain true to the truth we have committed to. For what God says he will do. And I'll tell you, this is the greatest expectation. That's our heading here. The greatest expectation. Remember this book, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers who are wavering in commitment to Jesus. Their family and Jewish friends, right, they're pressuring them, they're pressing on them to go back to the old traditions and rituals, go back to the old system, go back to find their standing in God and eternal future and hoping that things will work out in that way. But the writer has been telling us, no, what God says in the truth of his word about the gospel and salvation in Jesus will happen. He saved us. He forgave us. He changed us. He will complete, complete us and bring us home. He will bring us home to heaven one day. Colossians 1.5 says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, for which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we have this hope because God is true to his word. Then, you know what? Think about this hope we have. It's credible. It's sound. It, it holds validity. It has substance to it. It's something we can grab onto and know for sure that God will bring it to pass. And that's where our hope is to be anchored. Our expectation in God's salvation is true and it's complete. Remember when one commentator says, when we read this, we read it as if it's already been done. Like, we're going to be in heaven for sure. And it's already like, that's a done deal. We're going to get there. And you know what? That should affect how we live. Thomas D. Lee wrote, the second exhortation appeals to us to maintain spiritual consistent, consistency. I like that. Which leads us to what the writer is saying, and our point is this. Let us hold fast to our salvation by living out the word. Let us hold fast to our salvation by living out the word. I read a story about a little boy who asked his dad, Did grandpa make you go to Sunday school when you were my age? His father said, He sure did. 
We went every Sunday. The boy said sadly, Well, I bet it won't do me any good either. <laughs> Sad though, right? But the problem really isn't Sunday school, but the problem was in the commitment to do and live out to the Word of God that was being preached there. If you really believe in what Christ has done in salvation, then you know the truth of what it has done. And it means that we're different. It means that we can live it out. It means we have that ability. We, it means we've been transformed and we are new creation. And it means that we should be living that life then. Have you been wavering lately in that lately? Does the way you live reflect what you say you believe? A saved life is a changed life, right? Think about that. A saved life is a changed life, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Yes, sometimes believers will waver between the old life and the new life, but we need to be living the new life. Is that you? Think about like the Jewish believers who are addressed here. Perhaps, you know, they were being pressured. Well, maybe you're being pressured to waver on your commitment. Maybe, maybe Satan's attacking you with temptations to, to go back to the old life. To be tempted to sin in those old ways. That's what these Jewish believers are tempted to go back to the old system, right? Perhaps you're distracted by the world and your commitment to go all out for Jesus is being diverted because you're, you're being drawn away to other idols. Perhaps the enemy is getting the best of you. Why give him your best when it was Jesus who gave his all to die for you, right? Because he made the way for you to live, to give your best to him. So let us hold fast to our salvation by living out the word. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So let's abide in his word and live it out. All right, well, let's go on to number four, our last heading this morning. The greatest connection. The greatest connection. We are to live it out, live it now, because we now have, we've been offered the greatest motivation, the greatest invitation, the greatest expectation, and I like this part now, the greatest connection we have, really, with one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 reads, And let us now consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Here the writer adds his third letter. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And now he's saying, let us, in, in application to what Christ has done in our salvation, let us consider one another. In other let us look to one another. Let, let us consider this other person to, to help each other. How? In order to stir up love. The word love here is agape. We're talking about stir up love, unconditional love with each other. And then... He says, and good works. That's to do godly deeds, godly works. So all of our actions is what someone does who is saved. So the idea here, first of all, is let us help each other toward doing actions of love and godly works. That's the idea. John MacArthur put it this way. One of the best ways to hold fast to the things of God is to be in fellowship of his people where they could not like this. Love and be loved, serve and be served. I like that. That's the idea. You, you can see the only way to do this is by getting together in fellowship with other believers and being able to love on one another, to do good works, to encourage each other to do the same by what we do in the actions, in that agape love, 
unconditional love, in godly works, in serving, in, in being there, in actions of good things toward one another. You can tell that this is about fellowship. And that's why, look at verse 25, the writer says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of son, some, but exhorting one another. And we'll pause right there. Since we are to help each other in agape love and godly actions, believers are to be not forsaking the assembling. In other words, not neglect the regular meeting together. Like going to church and partaking in fellowship. It's very important. We see it here in scripture. For this is as in the manner of some. Some of the Jewish believers are already wavering in their faith and they were neglecting the fellowship. And he's saying we shouldn't neglect the fellowship. And think about that. The first sign of your wavering, right, in your walk with the Lord, what happens? You stop showing up in church, right? You stop seeking God in that way. You stop being with God's people. But meeting together then should be a priority so we would be able to be exhorting one another. And that's the idea that he said in the previous verse, right? That we would stir up yeah, each other in love and good works and agape love and good actions. We are to exhort, and the, really word, the word means encourage each other. The Greek word here is parakaleo, which we've come across that before. And if you remember, it means to come alongside and help. So the idea is this, God did not design Christians to live independent of each other, as the manner of some, he's saying. But God wants believers to, to, for fellowship to be a helpful encouragement. He wants fellowship. That's his design. This is the way we connect through love and good works toward each other. And this is the greatest connection you have, we have, you guys. This, this, is, this is the connection we have with each other. In the early church, we find in Acts 2.42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the word fellowship here is the word koinonia. In the Bible, uh, it means like partnership. It means like sharing. It means about this oneness and connection and in unity. And it's why? It's because we're all one ohana in the Lord, right? God has brought us together as children of God and one ohana. We're of one faith. We're one in Jesus. We have one love and one in the Holy Spirit. And that connection is further strengthened, is strengthened further when we stir up love and good works. So that's that greatest connection. Something else, notice this up at verse 24. It says, consider one another. And I like that thought because this is all done with consideration to the other person. Not yourself, you guys. It's about the other person. You know, some look at fellowship more with this idea of, well, what can this church do for me? But the emphasis here is not more about doing, well, the emphasis here is more about doing something for the other person and think about that's what agape is about right giving unconditional love just giving to give love not because someone did something for you so watch out you guys for these emotions and feelings that aren't really from god they're of the flesh and as we come to our last part of verse 24 and our last part this morning the writer brings in why we should be committed even more 
to fellowship. He says in verse 25, the second part, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer's saying fellowship becomes even more important, you guys, as you see the day approaching. What's that day? Well, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. As you see that coming more and more, and, and don't you see that day? I mean, this is so applicable to us today. Don't you see the day approaching? Isn't it becoming closer and closer? As we've studied in the past, we, I, I, we can see, to me, uh, Ezekiel 38, 39 being so close right now, right? With Russia and Iran working together and Russia working with the Muslim states. And we, we, can, we can see all of this coming together, Turkey and all, which are prophesied back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 38, 39, that they would, they would make a coalition, come and attack Israel, try and take it over, but God will save them. And I believe in, in a timeline of end time events that that is right around or, or the rapture is right before that. And after that, it's going to be the seven years of tribulation of uh, what we study in the past in the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but I see the day approaching. I mean, look at the news. I mean, with the tensions going on between the U.S. and, and Iran right now, and I'm not sure how that's going to play in all this. I think it's a, a step into that final step of Ezekiel 38:39, But, you know, just this week, uh, with, with that, Russia has sided with Iran in shoot, the shooting down of that U.S. drone. And then in the news, Israel now preps for war with Iran. They're actually uh, vocally doing that because they know if, if U.S. and Iran get into war, that they're going to attack Israel. So they're all, they're all getting ready. It's very volatile right now. Even, I think, just yesterday, U.S. sent a dozen F-22A Raptor stealth fighter jets into the, the, the region. And things are just, we don't know. I mean, God may just keep his hand and keep everybody calm down. We might have some more time. But I'll tell you, I see before me the whole Ezekiel 38-39 being almost right there and we definitely see the day fastly approaching so the second coming of christ these end time events why is that a factor why is the writing writer saying that it's so important because as we see the day approaching see as the day gets closer and closer you know what happens the world gets darker and darker so we will need to encourage each other to not waver in our faith or our walk in the lord and I'll tell you, we see it already. We see our society getting more evil and wicked. We see our, our government. We see, we see the media. We see all kinds of things going on. And it has been prophesied in the Bible in these last days. Very clearly, you know. Jesus prophesied about the last days in Matthew 24, 12. And he said, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You see, as wickedness, as, as evil starts to permeate more into the world, it's going to affect Christians. And I'll tell you, I talked to my friends, and, and there's been uh, statistics over the past years. Churches are shrinking. People aren't on as fire as they were before. And so m the love of many will grow cold. So with time running out, with all this going on, what should we do? We need to do everything to help each other spiritually we need to do everything to make it a priority that we are in fellowship 
that we stir up, right, each other in love and good works. So our last point is this. Let us consider the importance of fellowship and not neglect it. Let us consider the importance of fellowship and not neglect it. There is that story of a minister who was concerned about the absence of a man. Uh, he had in a church for a while. And after a few weeks, um, uh, the pastor decided to visit him. And when the pastor arrived at the man's home, he found him all alone sitting in front of a fireplace. The minister pulled up a chair and sat next to him. But after his initial greeting, he said nothing more. The two sat in silence for a few minutes while the minister stared at the flames in the fireplace. Then he took the tongs and carefully picked up one burning ember from the flames and placed it on the hearth. He sat back in his chair, still silent. His host watched in quiet reflection as the ember flickered and faded before long. It was cold and dead. The minister glanced at his watch and said he had to leave. But first he picked up the cold ember and placed it back in the fire. Immediately, it began to glow again with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. As the minister rose to leave, his host stood with him and shook his hand. Then with a smile on his face, the man said, remember they hadn't really spoken, but the man said, thanks for the sermon, Pastor. I'll see you in church on Sunday. You guys, we now have access to God, so why not hang out with God together? In this evil world, the influence is only getting stronger and fellowship gets even more and more important. But you know what? We can hang on when we hang out together. God is calling us. God is speaking to us in this matter of fellowshipping together as believers. If you neglected fellowship, then I hope you see the importance of it. I hope you see what the Word of God is saying here. John Wesley showed his view on how important fellowship is by saying this, there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. Perhaps maybe you're here today and you've drawn a line in your commitment to fellowship. And your reasonings, you know, could be, well, well, um, you know, it, I, I don't like it there, you know, or, or I'm not sure, but I don't feel like it, you know. But God is calling us to more fellowship. You know, I was thinking about how, you know, after 9-11, I remember the church I was serving in, uh, it was filled, busting at the seams for a few weeks. But then after that, everything kind of settled down and everyone went back to their way of life. But we have a more serious 9-11 that's about to happen, guys. This world is going to be put into a turmoil like never before. I mean, we see a lot of projections right now of a, of a, a world economy crash or the wars that are going to happen and, and the disunity going to happen. We're, we're going to see a lot of things happening already. I mean, there uh, there's so many earthquakes. I don't know if you follow that too. I mean, that ring of fire, you know, around this is like going crazy like never before. Dormant volcanoes are, are, are waking up. And we know in Revelation, we study the natural calamities that are going to befall this world. We're, we're right, a, right upon a more serious world like 9-11 thing that's going to be happening. So we should be doing all we can to see God and be with his people. We should stop drawing that line in, in our uh, fellowship ideas like, oh, well, I, I, I don't want to go there because I don't like their facility, you know. 
I, I've heard some people tell me, well, you, you know, um, a real church has a building. You guys just meet in a school. Okay, whatever, you know. Or I don't like the chairs, you know. I don't like the decor, the lighting, or whatever. Should that really stop you from seeking God? Right? If we really want, want to be with God and then we want to be with His people, we're going to go for it no matter what, right? I mean, I do that with surfing. <laughs> no matter how early in the morning or the wind, and I want to get in a while, I'm, I'm there, you know. I'm in there, right? We have our passions. We have our hobbies. Does, does things stop you there? No? Well, shouldn't that be with our fellowship in Jesus? And some say, well, I don't like the people there. Yeah. I don't want to go because I'm not sure about the, the people, and I can't stand them. I was thinking about what speaker and author Zig Ziglar once said, that he invited a friend to go with him to church. The man uh, answered, well, I'd like to go, but the church is so full of hypocrites. Well, Ziegler replied, that's okay. There's always room for one more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying is we are all sinners here. No one's perfect. We all have issues and problems, right? We're, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect, right? But we need to go. Besides that, what was God telling us? It's through those difficult times of fellowship that we can really stir up agape love and do good works. Look, it all comes down to our commitment and willingness to live out what we believe. That we would put no borders on it, no fences, no, nothing we erect that, so that we don't have to cross and deal with things. Listen, I know, I know when it's easy, yeah, it's easy to live for Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, well, you know it's easy. When, but when it's difficult, when the difficult situations and times come, isn't that when your true colors come out? And our true colors should be what we believe and who we are in Jesus Christ. When there's been pain or, or hurt from someone or, or suffering you're going through, broken expectations, I'll tell you what, that's the time where we really must take to heart what the writer is saying here. I'll close with this story. At the 100th anniversary of the arrival of missionaries in Zaire, Africa, that was formerly known as the Republic of Congo, these Christians all gathered to celebrate what God had done there in bringing this revival. Near the end of the celebration, a very old man stood to give a speech, and he shared something that not many really knew about. He explained that when the first white missionaries came, his people didn't know whether to believe their message or not. They devised this evil plan because they, they didn't think they were good. To, they devised this plan to slowly and secretly poison the missionaries and watch them die. One by one, children died, adults died, they became ill and died and they were buried. But it was when the native people saw how these missionaries died that they were moved and chose to believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that that brought them in their decision to receive Jesus into their life and it changed the whole village, the whole area. Now you see, the missionaries, they never knew what was happening. They didn't know they were being poisoned and they didn't know why they were dying. But you know what? They held on. They kept seeking the Lord. They kept loving the people and serving them. It was that faithfulness to the Lord that convinced the native people that their message was true. 
And that's what God, God is calling you and I, to do that same thing. No matter how the hard the situation, no matter if you understand what's going on or not, you know what? It's time to live it out and live it now. Let's all stand together. Lord God, we stand before you right now. <laughs> Jesus, you have made the way for us, and now we need to live for you. Jesus, you've set your promise toward us, all your promises, and we know that you'll never let go. So help us to never let go of living our life, the living the life you've given us, living this life to the fullest extent, all for you. Jesus, as, 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 as the world, our society all around us is getting darker, God, help us not to be influenced and drawn into that, but let us live differently and live the life that you have given us to take advantage of the opportunity in you, God. You are our strength, Lord. You are our power, and we can do and be, Lord, the people of God you want us to be. And, Lord, let that life, Lord, be your life being lived out through us. And let that be a light and a witness to all around us, God, as time is running out. God, stir us up. Set us on fire, Lord. Create in us a passion like never before, God. Lord, you've given us a moment right now, Lord, this morning to worship and be in your word. And God, it, compared to the whole week, it's not that long. God, in this moment, you've spoken and you're calling us. You've convicted us, Lord. And you are motivating us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. And so, God, it's a challenge, Lord, to do great things. And God, you've done the greatest thing for us, so now may we do great things for you this morning. Here we are, Lord. We want to surrender all to you. That no matter what we may be going through, no matter what it is, God, you are here for us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So God, help us to go all out for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.